Welcome to What Becomes a Classic, the show that asks why some children's books are just so good that they never get old. I'm Leonard Marcus, and I'm here now at the Museum of the City of New York to talk about a very special picture book that recently turned 50, Don Freeman's Corduroy. With me now is Morgan Stevens Garman, curator of an exhibition which is here at the museum, wonderful show called A City for Corduroy. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you, Leonard. It's really great to be here, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about Don Freeman, uh, where he grew up, what he was like as a child, and how he came to New York. Sure, uh, Don Freeman grew up primarily in California. He did go to high school in Missouri, but then afterward was back in California, and the thing that's most important to remember about Don Freeman is that he drew. He drew everything he saw everywhere he went from a very early age. He had sort of an unusual childhood, didn't he? His mother had died when he was quite young, and I got the feeling that he turned to drawing as a way of um, feeling better about life and exploring life um, as an outsider. Well, I think it was a very easy way for him to tell a story, to draw a picture of a moment, a scene, um, and that's also what attracted him so much to theater, and that's why he loved going to see plays, even as a young, a young kid. And then he also played the trumpet, didn't he? There, he came really close to being known more as a musician than as an artist. Tell us about that and what happened to his trumpet. So, uh, Don Freeman did play the trumpet, and from an early age as well, and he came to New York a little bit before his 20th birthday. He came to New York because it was the city of possibility, because there were so many exciting things happening in New York. This is about 1928, uh, and he didn't know if he was going to pursue music and play the trumpet, or if he was going to pursue his art. He wasn't sure. He loved both so much. One day, he was sitting on the subway train, drawing the people around him, furiously, furiously, furiously. His stop came, he leapt up, got off of his stop, and realized he had left his trumpet on board the subway train. That was his sign. He decided, this is what I need to do, I need to draw. The music will still be a part of my life, but what I need to pursue is the art. So what happened to Don Freeman? Did he become famous as an artist right away, or did he struggle, or, or what happened to him in New York? He started by drawing uh, theater caricatures. So these are drawings of actors backstage putting on their makeup, or the people who would run the theater, and he was able to get those published in newspapers and magazines, and that was able to, that's how he was able to make a living. So he was making a living drawing these theatrical caricatures, also doing posters and playbills for the theater, uh, and also just drawing New York City. He published his own magazine called Newsstand, and it would include lithographic prints that he would make of the city, uh, capturing these scenes of like energy and chaos, but also these very quiet moments of the city where you're sort of all crammed in together, but you also have this feeling of being by yourself. He was very good at capturing all of these moments, and he was able to get work publishing uh, these drawings in different in magazines and newspapers. He worked for a long time for the Christian Science Monitor, publishing over 30 years in that publication, as well as New York Times, The New Yorker, Theater Magazine, all the sort of reputable sources of the day. Yeah. And it sort of fascinates me that 
Um, I mean, we live in a very celebrity-driven time, but he was as interested, if not more so, in the everyday people that he saw all around him. And New York was just so full of people like that. It seemed like there was nothing he didn't, nothing and no one that he didn't want to draw. Everyone was important. Everyone was part of the energy, was part of the life of New York City. Everyone was part of the story that made a theater, uh, a play, a musical, every single person. It didn't matter whether you cleaned the theater, it didn't matter whether you were the star of the show, everyone made the magic happen, and he wanted to celebrate that. And so it was as if there was the show in the theater, but then there was the theater of the city itself, like the theater of everything. Yeah. So how did he get from that to making children's books? Well, he left New York. <laughs> in the late 40s, he and his wife, Lydia Cooley, who is also an artist, uh, a very reputable watercolor painter, uh, they decided to move back to California to raise their son. And, and so they moved to California and he felt sort of drawn to his memories of the city, the energy of the city. And, they, and he and his wife created their first book in 1951, The Blue Caboose. And shortly after that, they wrote The Pet of the Met, which was their first book about New York City, talking about Maestro Petrini, a mouse who lives at the Metropolitan Opera. So it's like he couldn't get enough of New York, it seems like. Um, then he did a book about um, an art museum, didn't he? He did. He did Norman the Dorman. Maestro Petrini has a cousin who is Norman, and he lives at the Museum of Modern Art and gets to show off the art to all of the art-loving creatures uh, in, in his book. He loved to play with words, didn't he? And one of the things that I really like about Corduroy is that he hid his son's name in the title, right? Roy. Is, is part of Corduroy. He did, he did hide his son's name in the title. I'm not sure that Roy would claim such a, such a connection, but it is interesting in doing research for the show, I found early drafts of his drawings uh, where Corduroy was a little boy in Corduroy overalls. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no kidding, I didn't realize that. Before he was a bear, he was a little boy. It was a different kind of story. So tell us about some of the art which is in this gallery where we're both standing. What are some of your favorite images of all of um, Don Freeman's artwork? One of my favorite pieces is uh, a drawing that he did called Most Popular Man on the Block. And it's a little boy who has ice cream. Uh, and so he's the most popular man on the block because he is very generously sharing his ice cream with the neighborhood kids. Just on, on the stoop a very New York moment, um, children being active, and also this treat and this sort of humor uh, that I just love about his work. Corduroy um, is missing a button, so it feels like um, he's a character who's not perfect, but we love him anyway. Exactly. He was um, working in different media, wasn't he? Sometimes in color, sometimes in black and white. Did you get a sense of what he was like as a as, a, as an artist, like how he went about doing his work, uh, how he chose his mediums? Did he work all day? What, what, what was he doing? <laughs> I don't know that I have a sense of his time frame. I think he was always thinking about work. So when he wasn't making the drawings, he was thinking about moments. And he carried sketchbooks with him wherever he went. The sketchbooks looked like notebooks because he didn't want people to know that he was sketching everything all the time. Um, when he found lithography, which is a printing technique, when he found that at the Art Students League, that was the medium 
that called to him. And he felt like that was the perfect uh, expression of his artistic vision. So Corduroy is a very unusual picture book. And one of the reasons that it is, is that the main character, Lisa, and her mother are African-Americans, which you didn't see very much at all in American children's books, unfortunately, in the 1960s when this book was first published. Why did Don Freeman make that decision, make that choice? You know, I'm not sure if it was a specific choice. He drew everyone that he saw and everyone was part of the picture of the city. And so I'd, I'm not sure exactly how much making Lisa and her mom African-American was a specific uh, decision or if he was just capturing uh, the flavor of the city. Uh, what's interesting is that in the early drafts of Corduroy, they are a little bit better off financially. So both the mom and, the, and Lisa. Um, the reason that Lisa can't buy corduroy is because they've run out of time for the day, but in the published version that we all know and love, it's because they've spent all the money that they're going to spend today. So that was a change that was made between the draft and the published version. And that's something that we show in the show, in the exhibition. So it feels like he was thinking about inequality, maybe, and people not all living the high life that America sometimes promises everyone. And it, it seems like a very humane gesture on his part. It was very democratic, again. Like every, every person, it didn't matter. They were part of the picture. And that's sort of what we include in the city section of this exhibition is images of just regular New Yorkers going about their lives. And what are, what are you hearing from people who've come to see the show? Do you get to hear some of their reactions? I've gotten to hear a few reactions, um, and it's been pretty amazing. Um, people get to learn things that they didn't know. Some people don't necessarily connect Corduroy with some of his other books. They get to discover new books by him. One of my favorites, Hattie the Backstage Bat, about a bat who lives backstage. Uh, and then they get to discover all of the work that he did uh, for the city and all of the, the capturing of the theater and the, the, his commitment to storytelling. What do you think it is about Corduroy that has made it last? Oh, we all want a friend. We all just want a friend. And Lisa wants Corduroy to be her friend, and Corduroy needs Lisa to be his friend. And I think that's, that's the magic. Well, I guess that's a universal story, isn't it? Yeah. Well, thank you very much for talking with me. Thank you. It's been my pleasure.